We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for March 1st, 2009. And uh, today we're going to be switching gears and we're going to be doing a dedicated lesson on the subject of are you saved? Are you really saved? True salvation and the true gospel. I've never done a study on this before and it's long overdue and I apologize for not doing it sooner. I've done a study that relates to this on overcoming, uh, but that's more after you get saved. This is more are you saved uh, type of uh, subject. So, uh, this is a study, truly this is the good news. This study will actually uh, be an encouragement, I, I truly believe, to, uh, I can't imagine it not be an encouragement to everyone that would listen to it. It's the most important study I've ever done because there's no more important subject than where you're going to spend eternity, either in heaven or hell. This is not, although this is going to be a very in-depth study, the essence of this message is not complicated. This is the simplicity of the gospel uh, that Jesus Christ brought to us. So, I'm going to be, uh, I had a, a Christian sister challenge me on this uh, yesterday, and um, I really realized at that point that I needed to drop everything and do a study on this, because uh, if she was unclear about my stance on salvation, then there may be a lot of other people that are unclear on it, and I may have a lot of people listening to uh, these messages on a, on a weekly basis that aren't even possibly saved. There's a highlight. I mean, if you go into the average church, you go into uh, Smiley uh, Joel Osteen's church, I guarantee you the vast majority of people in there are not saved. They have never heard the true gospel. Uh, they, most, of, most every religion in the world is based on works, on what you do to get to wherever you're trying to get to. And there's really only two religious systems in the world we have. We have Bible-believing Christianity re regarding what Jesus Christ taught in the, you know, in the New Testament and, and what the New Testament says about salvation. And then you have all the other isms out there, Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, where all of these religious systems are based on works, on what you do to get to wherever you're trying to get to, whether that be what you call heaven or nirvana or paradise, they're all based on works. The devil's religious systems are all based on works and they're all based on a lie. So you can boil everything down to two religious systems. And before I get started too, I want to thank my listener who sent me the globe. I already mentioned Smiley uh, Joel Osteen. Well, I, I know in previous messages I've mentioned that uh, he's got that big globe t twirling behind him on TV and how I always wanted one. Well, he sent me uh, he sent me a globe, and uh, it's a, it's inflatable, and it's about the size of a basketball, but I've got it here next to me, and uh, uh, just kind of in the, you know, I just wanted to thank him for that. Now, what I need to do is get a string hanging up behind me so it can twirl. You know, that, that'll really complete the whole motif. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so if we go, we're going to start into this, and this is based on a, uh, uh, the verbiage that we're using here is um, I'm, I'm going to put the PDF up. 
that relates to this particular teaching uh, and uh, all the links that, that go to this. Um, we're going to be citing several different sources today. But the big thing that we're going to key on is what does the Bible say? Not my opinion, not man's opinion, but what does the Bible clearly state about this? And so we can get to the bottom of this. And um, the, This starts out by saying, how do I get saved? What do I need to do in order to get saved? Where will I go when I die? How do I know if I've been saved? Can a saved person die and go to hell? Do all lost people go to hell? These are important questions. In fact, they are the most important questions you could ever ask. Why? Because the answer to these questions will affect you for all eternity. Eternity is endless or everlasting dur duration in the future, dating from the present time. Where will you spend eternity? And, like I said, what you can do is if you want to go up and print out the PDF, or, or you can even, pretty much on this teaching, you can actually follow along right with the PDF, because I'm going right off that. So you have all the... Um, the notes for this online, and just so you know, when you go to any of my teachings, there's a little white box, if you go to the particular page and you click on the green box where it says listen, about two notches under that, there's a little white box that'll say PDF, on them. probably about 95% of all my, my teachings have that, and you click on that and it'll give you all the verbiage you need. Um, so, in this article, I will explain to you, using only the Bible, which is God's revelation to him of himself to man on how to get saved. In order to get saved, a person must hear the true gospel. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, Romans 1.16. The Bible also says there are many false gospels out there. Uh, Galatians 1.6 and 7 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So this is the big thing. We're in the end times. We know that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know there's going to be many false prophets. There's going to be many antichrists. The antichrist himself is going to come with all lying signs and wonders and miracles. We know according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that God is going to send strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned. That means go to hell. Who received not the love of the truth. This is the main truth this is the only truth that will get you to heaven. The gospel. The true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only truth that will get you to heaven. So, um, it's, it's a matter of life and death, literally eternal life and death, this message. Uh, so, again, going back to that uh, verse in Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. And we're going to look today to see if the gospel of Christ has been perverted in the uh, modern day churches. So if you've heard and believed another gospel, a gospel that is different from the one that the Bible teaches, it has no power to save you from your sins. So it's very important you're believing the true gospel that's taught in the Bible, in the King James Bible. That's very important. And remember, Satan is the most subtle beast of the field. He works through subtlety. So there's a lot of people out there that have believed the subtlety of the devil and they're not even saved. And that's what we, that's what we want to take an in-depth look at here, that we're not falling into that trap. 
if you're in this position, you're, you're in danger of eternal condemnation. Uh, this author says, I was in this very position myself until I finally came to the cross, hearing the true gospel message of salvation from the Bible. I don't want you to be deceived or fooled about salvation. I want you to know for sure about where you'll go when you die. Please take a moment to hear the true gospel from the Bible and don't be tempted to think that you can believe what you want and that I can believe what I want and we'll all be okay in the end. That's, that's uh, you know, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 say that. So that's the problem. All these religions to these particular people practicing them that are based on works, <clears throat> they seem right to these people, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, um, it's something that you really have to have cemented in your mind uh, regarding the subject. So, if we go further here, God has told us in His Word, the Bible, that there is only one faith that saves sinners. And Ephesians 4, 4-6 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. There is only one true gospel. Please believe God, not your feelings. He never lies. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? That's Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. Okay, so moving forward, let us examine then what God tells us about salvation. Uh, number one, you cannot get saved unless you know and believe that you are a sinner. The Bible tells us that man is a sinner. The Bible says that we are all, each and every one of us, born in sin and in condemnation. Uh, Romans 5.19, for as by one man's sin, Adam, disobedience, for as, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And let me just continue that verse. Uh, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And that one there in reference to there is Jesus Christ. Through one man sin entered the world, Adam, but by the obedience of one also, likewise, contrawise, many shall be made righteous. So that's kind of a neat concept if you, if you think about that. Uh, and then... <clears throat> Romans uh, 5.16, and judgment was by one to condemnation. And that, and that one was Adam. This is where sin entered in. So you might be asking yourself, what qualifies as sin? Okay, that's, a, that's the next valid question. Well, <clears throat> the Bible says in Proverbs 24.9, the thought of foolishness is sin. So, one foolish thought. Now, we're born in sin. The Bible even talks about that in Psalm 51, that in sin did my mother conceive me and I was shaping in iniquity when, when uh, David, you know, cries out to God. So, <clears throat> in other words, at the very least, one foolish thought would qualify us as a sinner in God's eyes. Not to mention all the other obvious sins that we commit. Again, that's why the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the next question would be uh, to ask is, how does God feel about sin? Well, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So the wages or payment, that's what, isn't that what wages are? They're payment. The wages or payment of sin is death or hell. This is eternal separation from God in hell. Hebrews 9.27, is a, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So we don't just get, get to come back whenever we want to and get reincarnated or, or like all the um, ghost shows are portraying now that, well, if, if we've got unfinished business here and, and we were even a wicked person, we just kind of hang around and haunt a house until, uh, we get, uh, until we get satisfaction and then we, then we go toward the light. Now, I've done a whole teaching on near-death experiences, um, and it kind of relates to this subject that you might want to reference, the whole lie of these near-death experiences, what's going on most of the time, uh, because that needs to be biblically explained as well. So all you would have to do is go up to my homepage, and uh, there's a little search box, and just key in, I don't know, near-death, or just the word death, and you'll find it. So if we go further, the Bible says... There is no natural or inherent goodness within you. Romans 3.12 They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It says that though you might try to do right, you are destined to fall short. This means that it is impossible for you to save yourself or to do anything in any way to earn your salvation. Isaiah 64, 6. Um, I'll get to that in a second. It says that your good deeds and good works are worthless in the sight of God. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all together as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So our best day... In the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, is is a filthy rag in God's sight. Okay, apart of, apart from um, if you're if you're unsaved. Okay, so all these people trying to earn their way into heaven, and all the Catholics trying to keep the seven sacraments and doing this or doing that. All that is in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ is a filthy rag. That's it. It's an affront to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an insult to Him. And to his shed blood that he shed on the cross to pay our sin debt, that is an insult to him. And that's what people have a real hard time reconciling because they think, well, I'm a good Catholic, or I'm basically a good person, I'm a good Hindu, I'm a good Buddhist, or whatever. It's a filthy rag in the sight of the Lord. And a lot of times, too, if you think about it, this is why it's harder and harder to get saved as you get older. Because if you have your whole life invested in a belief system, well, I've been a good Catholic for 50 years. Not only are you becoming more demon-infested or demon-entrenched, every day you stay in that system. And think about it. Well, do you, you don't think there's demons at play here? You don't think there's evil entities at play here that influence you to do evil? And the longer you stay in something like that, it's like the mafia, the harder it is to get out of. You know, you stay in it long enough and, and you get blinded to the truth and you stay in something and then you commit your life to a particular religious system. You have a lot invested in that. It's very hard for those people that have all this, this time, money, so much of their life invested in one of these religious systems. The longer they're in it, the harder it is to break free. 
part of that's pride too, because they would think, man, my whole life's been a waste. My, my, my whole belief system has got me nowhere and I can't accept that. I can't accept it and I won't accept it. And they'll go to hell before they'll accept the free gift the, of the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll go to hell before they'll accept that because they are bound and determined they are going to get to wherever they're trying to get through through their own works or through their own respective religious system. That is a sad state of affairs. But that's, that's really, if you boil it down, the biggest reason people will not repent is because of what I just stated. Or some people think, well, I'm basically a good person. Uh, you know, like kind of like my, my parents, you know. They're, they're of that opinion. They're, they're not religious. But they think that they're basically good people. Well, I'm better than them. Uh, I don't believe a, a loving God would send me to hell. I, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. Well, all that is is your opinion. There is a way which seemeth right unto no man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And they'll commit their eternal soul and their eternal destiny, destiny to their opinion. Not even a religious system, but just the way they feel. The devil has them so blinded and deluded and deceived. That's a scary thing. But a lot of people, that's the... And if you think about it, though, it is a religion, what I just said. They've just created a religion in their own mind. They, it's their system. It's their religious belief systems. I mean, it's their. It's what they believe about going to heaven or hell. They've just created their own religion. That's a big. That's another big reason that a lot of people end up going to hell for that reason as well. So, if we go further, the Bible says that if you attempt to earn salvation through your good deeds, this would mean your deeds or the deeds of other. Uh, fallen human beings, you f you earn actually further condemnation. So this verse is Romans 4, 2 through 5, and it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory. See, if Abraham was justified by works, he, he would have a reason to glory in his own flesh, in his own self, but then it goes on to say, but, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. So if you're working your way to heaven, if you think it's heaven, I mean a Satanist would say, I'm working my way to hell. That's where they, that's where they want to go. They think hell's going to be a big party. That's what, they, that's what they're taught. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll in hell. They're in for a real rude awakening. Uh, going further, it says, To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. When you try to work, all you're doing is accruing debt. When you try to work your way to heaven, that's all you're doing. You're becoming more and more of a debtor every day. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, Who's that? Jesus Christ. Believe it on him that justifieth the ungodly. Justifieth. To make just. See, Jesus Christ can make just the ungodly. He can justify the ungodly. He's the only one that can do it. Through his shed blood, he's the only one. His faith is counted for righteousness. So, what is this? What is the essence of this verse? Well, I can tell you the essence. Abraham believed God. 
And then it goes on to say, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith. It says, believe, believeth, faith. That's the essence of that verse. And that's the essence of the true gospel. And we're going to go a lot further into this, but I'm, I'm just trying to set the stage here. Uh, Colossians 1.21. The Bible says that fallen man is an enemy towards God and has earned God's wrath. Uh, Colossians 1.21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. To reconcile to Christ. Now we're going to be going over a lot of these definitions that relate to salvation as well later. Uh, and then Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold truth in unrighteousness. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of like the people that have their own little religious systems. You know, they hold truth in unrighteousness. It's not really true truth, though. <laughs> it's unrighteousness. The Bible says that the human heart is wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah 79. And again, a lot of these verses that we're quoting today, you hear me quote all the time. But what I'm going to be doing today is tying this all together in a cohesive format relating totally to the biblical subject of salvation. So, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Now the heart is what will deceive you. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Bible also says, He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. So if you trust in your own heart, according to the Bible, you're a fool. That one's not preached very much from the pulpit, because a lot of times in a lot of lukewarm churches, they'll say, oh, follow your heart, just like the world says, just like Oprah says, follow your heart. Yeah, you follow your heart, it'll get you to hell every time. If, if you're trusting in your heart to get you to wherever you're trying to get to. But the Bible says it's deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. The Bible says the unsaved man is spiritually dead in sins. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened to be, means in the Bible to be made alive again. So Jesus Christ is the only one that can truly save us and quicken us, make us alive again because we were dead in sins and trespasses. It says it right here prior to being saved. Colossians 2.13 And you, being dead in your sins and the circumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The Bible says you are a sinner who has earned God's wrath and is already condemned. Now this is for um, this is somebody who's not a born-again believer. First uh, John 1.8 If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, Ephesians 2, 3, we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Romans 5, 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam's sin, that, that's a insert, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So again, these verses are just kind of setting the stage and establishing the fact that we're all sinners. Um, we've all sinned, and um, that sin qualifies us for hell. So in order to get saved, you need to hear about the Savior. Because in order to be saved, you got to have a Savior, right? The Bible says, because we stand condemned before God for our sins, 
We need a Savior. The Bible says there is only one Savior for man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43.3. Now this is the Old Testament. For I am the Lord thy God and the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sebia for thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Isaiah 43.11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Right there. No other gods can save you. None. Luke 1, 46-47 And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. <clears throat> Luke 2, 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 11. So we're establishing absolutely that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior of mankind. Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Pretty clear. John 4.42 And he said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Acts 5.31 Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In reference to Jesus Christ. So it can't get much clearer than that. So in order to get saved, you must understand that Jesus, who saved you for your sins, is God in the flesh. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, Colossians 2.9 For in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then this goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Just in order to, to even further verify that. That verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among men. This is when Jesus, you know, came in a, in, into a bodily form and, and, and dwelt here on earth and, and um, had his ministry here. So, again, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So, Jesus Christ is, is that word. Okay. John 10.30 I and my Father are one. Jesus talking. John 14.9 he that has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, Isaiah 4, 7, 14. Therefore the Lord, Jehovah himself, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God or Jehovah with us. So this is the Old Testament predicting hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before Jesus Christ ever got here of, you know, predicting the birth of Jesus Christ. And I will probably, probably the next study I will do will be the study I've mentioned before regarding the historical evidence proving that the Lord Jesus Christ is who he says he is, proving the Bible. Uh, because that would bolster what we're going to be talking about today as well. We, if we look at that, but we're going to do this first, and then we'll probably get to that maybe next week. Isaiah nine six. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And remember, for unto us a child is born. Jesus Christ is the only one that could have ever fulfilled that verse. And all these other ones I'm talking about. Micah 5.2 But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. This is the prediction that the, that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. And that's where Jesus Christ was born. Okay, And again, there's... <laughs> Tons and tons and tons of predictions in the Old Testament regarding Jesus Christ, and they all came to pass, every one of them. And uh, the odds of that happening, there are not enough atoms in the universe for that to have all been by chance. And somebody could say, yeah, well, they just doctored the Bible to do that. No, they didn't, because they find, they find fragments of the Bible now in uh, biblical archaeology, which confirm the Old Testament that was written sometimes thousands of years before Jesus was ever even here. Well, not thousands, but hundreds and hundreds of years. So how do you explain that then? The Old Testament hasn't been doctored. If we go further, Colossians 1, 16-19, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Again, that was Colossians 1, 16-19. So, for by Him all things were created. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's John 1. All things were made by Him. So, He's the Creator of all things. So, if you want to know how to get saved, you must hear the truth about what God did to save you. The Bible says that Jesus, who is God, was crucified. He bore the sins of the world upon the cross. Matthew 7.35 And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Yeah, that was predicted in the Old Testament as well. One of the many um, prophecies about Jesus Christ that was also fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So after three days, Jesus rose again and He ascended into heaven, where He is now at the right hand of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 says, For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep, meaning they have died, in, in a biblical sense. 
Um, after that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and the last also he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. So, Jesus Christ was seen by a lot of people after his death, further verifying his deity. Okay? Because he rose from the dead. Luke, Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Confucius didn't rise from the dead. None of these other characters that have Muhammad, whatever, none of them did that. They weren't God. <laughs> they were mere mere mortals or just deceivers at best. So, this is the difference. Uh, Luke twenty two sixty nine. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Mark sixteen nineteen. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Romans eight thirty four. Who is he that condemneth? Is it is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen again? Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? So just more confirming verses here. So now that you know that you are a sinner, condemned before God in your sins, you are ready to ask, how do I get saved? What must I do in order to get saved? The Bible tells us that although Christ has already paid for the sins of all mankind, the only way to receive his gift of forgiveness is to be born again. Therefore, in order to be saved, you must be born again. Uh, and we go to John 3, 3 through 8. John 3, 3 through 8. And again, you can just read along with this on the PDF so you don't have to... Because if you're going to try to follow this in the Bible, you're going to be doing a lot of flipping back and forth. Uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water... Which is, which is born of the flesh and the water out of the womb. Okay, you know how like it says that when a woman, um, right before she gives birth, she, her water breaks. Well, that's that's the water that we're in reference to here. That's a physical birth. Okay, um, but born of, uh, except it may be born of water and of the spirit and of the spirit, he cannot enter enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, Jesus is here referring back to what he said just before about being born of the water. We then see that that which is born of water is only born of the flesh. And then going back to the verse, it says, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that the first spirit there is capitalized. Okay, So this is in reference to the Holy Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Jesus talking here. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Capital S. First Peter one twenty three. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, that's what we're looking at today. What does the word of God say about being born again? Okay, because this is this is integrally related to the Word of God, and this is why I'm always so dogmatic about: are, Do you have the right Bible? Because the Bibles are getting so watered down, some of these versions you can't even get saved anymore. 
They've got versions now, I think there's one called the inclusive, where they refer to Jesus Christ as the one. You can't get saved. There's no other name given among men, you know, whereby, under heaven, whereby we must be saved. We just read that verse. Well, if you take away the name of Jesus Christ, and you start polluting the word of God, you know, it's not something that, that, uh, that you want to do, um, you're going to hinder a lot of people getting saved and they're going to end up in hell. So this is why I, I emphasize reading the King James Bible. And um, you, you can reference all the teachings I've done on the King James Bible. Just Ken, even the word King, in the uh, search box on my homepage. And then there's a PDF attached to those. And it'll give you a boatload of documentation regarding what I'm talking about here today. So, going further, the truth is, salvation is not by works. Salvation is by grace. The Bible teaches that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance and faith work together as two inseparable graces to produce the new birth. The power of God to produce the new birth is present when the gospel is preached. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. So, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Okay, That's very important to understand that. So, the power of God is involved in salvation. It is through the power of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is present when the gospel is preached. That true repentance toward God and saving faith takes place. Jesus required that repentance to be preached in his name. Luke 24, 46-47 And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So this is what um, Jesus Christ uh, was saying here. And then the Apostle Paul obeyed Jesus Christ when he preached the gospel. He testified both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 20.21. Now, in order to have true faith in Jesus Christ, one would need to repent. And, and, And again, what is this repentance toward God in reference to? Well, in order to have true faith in Jesus Christ, one would need to repent of their respective religious beliefs. Remember how we talked about essentially all religions in the world will get you to hell. I'm not referring to Bible-believing Christianity. I'm not even going to put a denominational label on this. I'm just talking about Bible-believing Christianity. In order to have true faith in Jesus Christ, wouldn't you have to repent of your respective religious beliefs and whatever else they believe that would merit them salvation? Wouldn't you have to repent of that prior to getting saved? I mean, a lot of people think, well, yeah, I got saved. I'm still a Catholic. I still go and do all the the rigmarole, but I got this on my side too. It's like, it reminds me of like the Haitians. Um, A lot of them, they're, they're, 99% of all the people in Haiti, according to the statistics I've seen online, practice voodoo. 90% of them also are practicing Catholics. Why? Because those two religions are so compatible. They're both entrenched in idolatry, 
which is integral to voodoo and Catholicism. But they bring in Catholicism and they think, ah, oh, this is another little notch in my belt. It's another little little religion I've got on my side. Somebody can go and say, well, I, yeah, I prayed that, that, that prayer. And then they go on and they keep doing what they're doing. They haven't, re- they haven't truly repented toward God. They haven't believed His Word. You have to drop your preconceived notions of how you think you're going to go to heaven. This is the repentance toward God that is referenced here. Okay, because we're, we're dealing just with the subject of salvation. Okay, I, I know that, that you can carry the definition of repentance further, and we're going to be looking at that later. We're going to be looking at the full definition. But in this context is what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation today. Okay, so again, you would have to repent of your respective religious beliefs, and whatever you believed would merit you salvation. Preconceived notions. You know, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. Um, Here we see the necessity of repentance and faith coming together in the preaching of the gospel. Repentance toward God. James 4.8 Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That word nigh means near. Okay, so when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But see, if you if you say, yeah, I'm drawing nigh to God, and, you, and you're hanging on to all your old religious hang-ups, whatever they may be, believe, some of them can be um, have a Christian veneer on them. Well, I'm a good person. I go to church. I tithe. I drive, a, uh, I teach Sunday school, I drive a bus, therefore I'm earning my, no, no, you're going to hell if you think that's getting you to heaven. You're going straight to hell. Now I'm not saying as a born again Christian, you can't do those things. Obviously, once you're saved, there's things called like the fruit of the spirit. What is that spirit reference? The Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. There's this thing called charity, which is the highest embodiment of love. There's a lot of evidence that will be there of salvation, but the evidence isn't what saves you. We have to get this in the right order. I can show you my faith by my works, but I can't have works in front of faith. There's an order that has to be observed here. And the order is literally the difference between an eternal destiny and hell in the lake of fire and heaven. It's that important, the order. Because if you think your works are saving you, you're going to hell. Flat out. You're going to hell. It is a filthy rag in God's sight. And I hate to say it, but most people in the church worldwide are believing in a works-based doctrine. Or, I'm a good person. I'm going through the motions. My pastor would never deceive me. They're trusting in man. And because they're trusting in man, they've made the, the, the uh, because of the traditions of men, have made the word of God of none effect. That's what the Bible says. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Okay, Jeremiah uh, 17.5. So, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. So, there's another subject. I trust in my pastor implicitly. I've never heard any of this. Who are you going to believe? The Bible? Or your pastor? 
Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and that maketh flesh his arm. You want The only arm you want to lean on is the Word of God through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to lean on the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we're going to be talking a lot more about faith as well. So I'm just interjecting these things along the way because they're, it's important sometimes to, to emphasize certain things regarding this study. So, once we repent toward God, it is through our faith in, in uh, Jesus' sacrifice that we are justified. Okay, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith. Faith. Remember, you've heard me say this before. It always seems to boil down to the essence of this is faith. This is the good news of the gospel. I was so excited, I didn't even get to bed last night till 4. I mean, I didn't get the study done until like 2.30 because, you know, this Christian sister, she kind of uh, got me fired up about this particular subject. And I was glad she did, praise the Lord. And you never know what the Lord may use, you know, regarding what's going to get you fired up about a certain thing. And um, I didn't even get the study done until 2.30, but I didn't get to bed till 4 because I was so excited about doing the study. It, and again, you know, this is the most important study I've ever done. And it is, it's, it's, this, this is the simplicity of the gospel. It is the, the gospel means good news. And that's what this is. Okay. So, um, therefore being justified by faith. How are we made just in God's eyes? How are we justified? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that neither repentance toward God nor faith is in any way a work. Okay? In this regard, in this repentance toward God, it is, it is a change of mind. And again, we're going to be getting into all the definitions of, of repentance here and, and all a lot of other biblical definitions that relate to the subject. But this is this change of mind. This is, this is setting aside your old preconceived religious views, whether you be a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Catholic, whatever. And some of the hardest people to lead to the Lord are like my grandpa, for instance, who um, I had been trying to lead him to the Lord, my word, for years. Now my grandma, I had led her to the Lord on what we thought to be her deathbed. My grandma was much easier to lead to the Lord than my grandpa. Now my grandpa was one of the nicest people you would ever have been around. I mean, I never heard him cuss ever. My dad said he saw him get mad like two times in his life. My grandma, on the other hand, was, well, just let's put it this way. She was the exact polar opposite. Okay, you know how they say opposites attract? But my grandma was, woo, she was fiery. I mean, I loved her. I, I never really had... You know, I never really, I think she mellowed out a lot, you know, with, with age, but, you know, particularly when she was younger, you know, she was, she was, uh, she was pretty fired up and, um, my grandma was much easier to lead to the Lord because see, she knew she was a sinner. She knew the tendencies that she had, the temper, the, the, this flying off the handle thing. 
it was much easier for her to put aside pride and say, you know what, yeah, I am. She was bawling as I led her to the Lord. In the hospital, um, she had had a heart attack. And um, she did live for several more years, but then my grandpa, I turned to him at the same time and I said, you know, grandma, I'm, I'm leading, you know, let's, let's, let's look at this situation of salvation and, and let's, you know, and his response to me, well, I believe I'm basically a good person. And <laughs> I said, grandpa, I said, if there was any person that I have ever known in my life, that if I could make the decision that would merit salvation, you would be the one. Because you, you know, like, the, he was unbelievable, you know. Um, but because of that, it was much harder to ultimately lead him to true salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was, he was, he had all this, these preconceived notions. He was basically a good person, you know. This and that. He was thinking of an Irma. And it was like a week before, I think it was right before he went into hospice. We finally got it settled in the name of Jesus Christ. And he finally yielded to the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it wasn't up until the time when he went into Hope Hospice. I mean, we're talking the very, very bitter end here. And he finally yielded. Um, so, again, that can work against you <laughs> if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, uh, like, let's say an upstanding, uh, person in the world's eyes. So anyway, let's go further. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that neither repentance toward God nor faith in any, is, is in any way a work. Okay, so we're not talking about works-based religion here. Okay, when we talk about repentance toward God, hopefully we've, we've defined what that means. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. We're saved by the grace of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it's a gift you either freely receive, or you freely reject, and then it goes on to say, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible talks about, there's there's no flesh that will glory in my presence. Okay, everybody that thinks they're earning their way to heaven, is trying to um, boast about how they're going to respectively get to heaven. And it's an abomination in God's eyes. In other words, we're saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this salvation is a gift we can either choose to receive or we can choose to deny. The reason it is a gift and not something we earn is that if we could earn it, we could boast and brag about what a good person we are and how we earned our salvation. Which is what so many people want to do. I personally... I am so glad it's this way. I don't want to try to earn my way to... I mean, I know all I would do is earn my way to hell. I, I don't want to try to do that. I, don't, I just don't understand the, the temptation. This is not something I ever had a real hard time with. This whole thing. I, I, in regard to this, I don't know. I just haven't ever had a hard time. I don't understand why some people are so... Wanting to earn their way to heaven. That doesn't mean I'm better. I just don't quite understand it. It's a free gift. What better deal could you, could you ask for? So, 
as far as earning the salvation, that, that honor is God's and not ours. And the Bible has already showed you, you cannot get to heaven by being a good person. Um, as apart from Jesus Christ, there are none that are good or righteous. This is the biggest reason that billions of people are going to hell. They are relying on their respective um, good works or their respective religion to get them to heaven. Billions of people are going to hell because of the subject that we're, we're talking about here right now re regarding their own righteousness or their own good works. Billions. They're relying on either their good works or the respect of religion to get them to heaven. You see, these people that end up in hell are sincere in their beliefs, but they are sincerely wrong. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The expression... The road to hell is paved with good intentions comes to mind. That, that's a true statement, actually. And I know it's not in the Bible, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Most of the time, broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Yet the ironic part about it is, is the narrow way is a free gift. In the other way, you're thinking, well, I'm a good person, or I'm doing that, or I'm doing this, and you're trying to earn it. I think a lot of it boils back to pride. You just got to do it your way, like Frank Sinatra. You know, he did it his way. Yeah, he, he, went, to, he went to hell his way, just like about a, all these other billions of other people that are, that are there right now. You know what I think about when I see a volcano erupting? That verse in the Bible where it talks about that hell hath enlarged herself. The Bible talks about they dig down into hell. Hell's in the hell's in the earth, okay? And hell hath enlarged itself. I don't know. I see these volcanoes erupting, and they're and they're really erupting like crazy. There's more people on Earth now than there's probably ever been in the history of mankind. Over six point five billion. So as a result, there's more people dying. Hell hath enlarged herself. Again, I, you know, just I'm just throwing that out to you. It's something to think about. So, but um, then more specifically, oh, we already we already read Proverbs fourteen twelve. The Bible says Satan and hell are real, and Satan could care less how you go to hell as long as you end up there. We're made in God's image. Satan rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him. He's on his way to the lake of fire. He wants to take as many people with him as possible. That's his goal. And I've said this before, but, you know, 5,000 years from now, that's all that's really going to matter. And yeah, I understand there's rewards and things like that in heaven. But I'm talking about who ends up in heaven and who ends up in hell. That's the big question. That's the biggie that, that we need to consider here. So there are only two places you can go when you die, heaven or hell. That's it. Period. That's why I get so infuriated over these shows that they're bombarding... Um, Hollywood is bombarding people with regarding, you know, like the medium or the ghost whisper or whatever other dumb show they're coming out with. All these shows are trying to do is totally to get you to doubt the word of God. Because if you believe for one minute that there's these ghosts from these disembodied spirits that are walking around doing whatever they want to do, most of them are, are evil. 
then that means, wow, if I'm evil, I don't really have to go to hell if I don't want to. In fact, there probably is no hell. I'll put my faith in what Hollywood's telling me. You know what these are? They're familiar spirits. Well, the Bible talks about familiar spirits. The witch of Endor talks about she consulted with a familiar spirit. Why are, why do they call them familiar spirits? And I've got into this before. Okay, in other teachings. I've done teachings on witchcraft, you can reference, and things of this nature. But a familiar spirit is familiar with a person and his actions during his lifetime. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness, and high places, powers. Okay? That's our battle. There's this battle taking place, and it's probably going on right around us all the time, between good and evil. And a lot of it is, is, is predicated upon who are you giving place to in your life. Are you giving place to evil? Or are you giving place to good? And, uh, and what it really boils down to is, are you born again? Okay, or are you not? Are you a born again Bible-believing Christian, or are you not? Because that, that is what truly matters regarding this battle. Fighting it successfully, I should say. So you've got all these things taking place, and somebody that, that just lives an unsaved life, and they have a um, familiar spirit, or familiar spirits, these spirits are familiar with you and your actions in your lifetime. They may have got passed down to you through a generational curse. They may, you know, the sins of the forefathers are carried to the third and fourth generation. The Bible talks about that. Um, for whatever reason, these spirits are familiar with you, and when you die, they don't go to hell. The Bible talks about that. Even Jesus referenced that. That when you know these, a spirit leaves a man, goeth, goeth into the desert. That verse seeketh in a body to inhabit. These spirits seek a body to inhabit. So if a person dies and they have a familiar spirit, that spirit is going to try to seek to inhabit a body. Sometimes maybe it won't. Maybe it'll hang around a certain spot, like a house or a particular spot of land, because there's been there's been sins that have been committed there. Maybe there's blood that's been spilt there that gave that devil or that demon a right to be there. This is I did a whole series on the doctrine of blood guiltiness and how innocent blood cries out from the land and that you can bring a curse upon the land by certain sins. Spilling innocent blood. Sodomy. Sexual sins. They can give spirits a right to be there. Why do you think in certain parts of your town there will be all these really nasty places all kind of lumped together? In my hometown, there's an abortion clinic and within probably no more than one mile of that abortion clinic are all of the, uh, of the um, nude bars, two or three, there's a gay bar, there's lingerie, there's all kind of bars, just regular bars in that area. All kind of wickedness in that uh, within a one mile perimeter of where they're spilling innocent blood every day at the abortion clinic. You think that's an accident? It's not an accident. Wickedness begets wickedness. And innocent blood cries out from the land and it gives devils and demons the right to occupy these places. And when they go into these old houses and, and, and ghost things and things of this nature and they say, yes, I saw, you know, dear, 
departed Uncle Jed, and it may manifest that way. You start to think, wow, that's a real person, and, and, and his spirit really is there. No, he's not. He's a familiar spirit, familiar with that person, posing as that person, and its sole purpose is to totally deceive you and to get you to doubt the Word of God, that there's a really a heaven and there's really a, there's a, there's a heaven or a hell. That's why the devil's allowing that. And remember, God said he was going to send strong delusion that they will believe a lie. It's part of the strong delusion. Just, it's just one aspect of it. I'm just, I just wanted to touch on that for a second because it is something that a lot of people get deceived about. Or something that maybe a Bible-believing Christian would have a hard time explaining. But it's really simple if you just look at it in those terms. I saw this one show about, and I've said this before, there was this, like, this little baby... Uh, there was this little baby that was born, and, you know, the baby was like three or four, and, and he was really, I don't know, intelligence-wise, uh, advanced. And this baby, and again, it's a little sketchy because it's been a while since, since I saw that show, but he had all the recollections of this particular fighter pilot that like, died in World War II. And I'm talking about this kid knew about particular planes. He knew real specific details about the missions that were flown, about this particular plane, about where they were in the South Pacific. I mean, it was unbelievable. The parents thinking that this kid is the reincarnated version of this pilot. Okay, so this is another way that the deception perpetuates. You have a familiar spirit that for one reason or another was inhabiting this fighter pilot in World War II or influencing him heavily, knew his actions, goes and indwells this baby. Maybe it's a generational curse. There's got to be some reason. Okay? The parents turn around and think, oh wow, he's, he's, he's been reincarnated. Well, if you believe in reincarnation, you can just throw the Bible out. You can't believe in reincarnation. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. You either go to heaven or hell. So you can just throw out the Bible. But see, if the devil can get you to believe something like that, and put your faith in that instead of the word of God, then he's got you. You're going to go to hell. Because you're not going to receive the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've put all your faith and hope in, well, he's been reincarnated. Look, he knows everything about and You know, he knew, you know, his name, the type of plane he flew, everything. There's no way the details that this, this kid knew, this child knew, there's no way he could have known it. Yeah, on the surface it seemed impressive. All it was was a familiar spirit feeding him the information. That's all it was. So anyway, that's just something that's very important to understand. So, what does it mean to repent? Repentance, this is from J.W. Nolan, a Baptist preacher. He says, repentance is a turning from a life of self and, and sin to a life of submission and obedience to God's will. Repentance means sins perceived, sins abhorred, and sins abandoned. This change is wrought by the power of God through the Holy Spirit and the word of truth, the Bible which being used as a means to convict the sinner of sin and lead him to forsake it and resolve henceforth to walk before God in all truth and uprightness. The Bible tells us that Pharisees did not get saved because they rejected the counsel of God against them. 
uh, because they rejected the counsel of God against them. What does that mean? It means that they did not believe what God said about them in his word. They did not believe that they were lost sinners, and they did not believe what God says about lost sinners. And again, repentance toward God regarding the, 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 the decision of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood on the cross, this repentance toward God regarding salvation, regarding getting saved, is repenting of your respective religious beliefs and whatever they believed would merit them salvation. But repentance in and of itself has a broader definition which is what we just read from this man. We're going to look at that more in a, in a second here. Um, standing before God as a condemned sinner, trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ, only in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, merit to save them. Um, a, an example of this would be, let's see here, Luke eighteen thirteen, And the publican standing afar off would not so much lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. Okay, that's a good example of repentance. Okay? Uh, humility. What, what, is, what is tied in with repentance? Humility. If you think about it. Humility. Meekness before God. See, humility is, is another thing that doesn't get preached on a lot. I've heard preachers even say, Oh, whatever you do, don't pray for humility. Oh boy, you don't want that. Why? Because you're going to have to suffer to obtain it? It depends. There's some people that are just naturally don't have a problem with it. Most people do. Um, humbling yourself before the Lord. I, but I've heard preachers say that. I have heard them. And it's, it's ironic because the humility aspect may be the one, maybe the biggest stumbling block to that person not, you know, not getting saved. Because they won't humble themselves. They won't, they won't admit that they can't save themselves. They won't admit that a religion can't save them or their own, whatever they think merits them salvation. Well, what's that? That's pride. What is the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride blinds you to the truth. So what is the what is a lot of what we're talking about today? The reason people don't get saved. What does it boil down to? Pride. Pride blinds them. To, didn't pride wasn't pride really the first sin recorded in the Bible ever from Satan? You know, because of his beauty, he was lifted up, and because of his merchandise, the Bible talks about it in Ezekiel. And then he said, you know, he's talked about, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend under the sides of the north. This was the first sin ever recorded in the Bible. This was before Adam. What was the essence of that first sin? Well, pride, jealousy. But I believe the pride had to be there first. Pride will get more, really, is the essence of why most people end up getting to hell most of the time. Pride. They think that they've got it all figured out. They know how to uh, get to wherever they're trying to get to. But humility is really a prerequisite for repentance. For accepting the free gift of the gospel. For believing. You have to humble yourself. 
The Bible talks about humbling yourself as a little child. The Bible talks about when, when Solomon prayed a prayer that pleased God. That he said, I am as but a little child. I know not, know not whether to come in or go out. Or how to guide this people. Give me wisdom that I may know how to guide these people. He humbled himself before the Lord. That has a lot to do with what we're talking about today here. You don't come to God like, yeah, well, I'll get saved. Yeah, I'll get saved. I'll pray that. I'll pray some prayer and I'll get saved. And that doesn't work that way. Then it goes on to say, those who repent are like the thief on the cross who knew that he had been justly condemned for their sins. They also, like the publican who knew he could only be saved by God's mercy and made no claim to personal righteousness before God. The thief on the cross. He got saved. Jesus told him, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah, but he didn't have time to go drive a drive a Sunday school bus and teach a Sunday school class and he didn't have time to do all the other stuff that you got to do in order to get saved. <laughs> that was probably why Jesus assured us of his salvation because he didn't have any. He couldn't do any of that. It was a great example. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. What could the thief on the cross do other than believe? What could he possibly do other than have faith? that what Jesus Christ was saying was the truth. What good work could he perform on the cross? He was, he was, I believe, um, he was, he was, you know, he was on the cross like Jesus. I'm not saying he suffered like Jesus. Okay, but, <laughs> he couldn't do anything to merit anything other than believe and have faith. He humbled himself. we go further, John 8, 44, um, well, this goes on to say, had, had their allegiance switched, their allegiance had switched from Satan to God. They knew that they were turning away from Satan to God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those who are unsaved are children of the devil. John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Ephesians 2, 12. Um, well, this says first, before salvation, they knew that they were lost. Okay, so this is something that you have to come to the, to the conclusion of. That you're a lost sinner on your way to hell. And nothing you can do can merit heaven or salvation in and of yourself. This goes on to say that at that time, ye were without Christ, having no hope, without God in the world. Ephesians 2.12 they knew that they had no goodness, no righteousness, and no personal worthiness before God. Romans 7.18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Hebrews 6, um, then going further, before we get to that, they knew that their works, the good that they felt that they had done, were as filthy rags in God's sight. See, it's very important you come to that conclusion Prior to salvation. I mean, it's not like, well, yeah, I'll say, I'll get saved and, and I'll have faith and I'll believe, but I'm also going to trust him. It doesn't work that way. Lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's very clear. 
our works before salvation are dead works, and the Bible says that we should repent of these. Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine um, of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. They knew that they were utterly incapable of saving themselves, that salvation as a free gift must come through God alone, through His grace, receiving the good that we do not deserve, rather than the punishment that we justly deserve. This is repentance that Isaiah came to in um, Isaiah 6, 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. This was when Isaiah was taken up into heaven. Um, and he realized, in the presence of God, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. He realized that in the presence of God. It was abundantly clear. That is a incredibly humbling experience. If, if you were to experience something like that, I mean, you would be humbled uh, beyond anything I could ever describe. Romans 5, I mean, myself included. I'm not saying that, you know, any other way. Romans 5.16, the Bible tells us that salvation is a free gift, and when we come to repentance, we need to receive it as such. Romans 5.16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So this free gift justifies us. Through Jesus Christ, this free gift that he gives us of salvation, that's what justifies us. Okay? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop here because we're, we're out of time on this one. We're going to go to part two next.